We thank you that we can once again come before you. As we open your word, we pray for your spirit to speak to us. Lord, there may be things that are in our minds, our own ideas, uh, growing up about sexuality. There may be things that we need to unlearn. There may be things that we need to relearn. So Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will come and minister to us as we open your word. And may we act in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our August uh, sermon series is on when love is love. And today we continue specifically on God's design for sexuality as we study Genesis 1 to 3 together. I want to begin by saying that most of us uh, are not very educated about sex. Maybe you are, I'm not. <laughs> How did I grow up knowing about sex? Mong cha cha, no? Mong cha cha, then become a teenager, and then uh, parents don't talk about it, grandparents don't talk about it, newspaper don't write about it, the church do not teach about it. And then who do I learn it from? From my friends. Ah. That time don't have internet. Ah. These days have internet. The young people learn from the internet. I wanted to begin this sermon by bringing to mind that we are not discipled by the church and by God's people about sexuality. And we hold on to some of these for life and we think that they are correct. While it is not. So today, we come and discover what does God say about sexuality. It has been said that human beings are designers by nature. And we get better and better at designing things. You know, from the microprocessor in our watch, so minute, so small, yet have such a big memory, to the record-breaking mega skyscrapers, you know, some taller than the mountains, you know, just outside our church, you have buildings that are how tall? 50? 50 stories? Amazing, isn't it? Marvellous work of design. And in Singapore, we can even make water, drinking water from sewage water. Marvellous, isn't it? When you look at any product, whatever it may be, there must be a designer. There must be a maker. Things do not automatically come together so beautifully. Have you ever wondered how we came about? One fine day, your father, your mother, walk, 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 and then bang to one another, and then the big bang, and then you came about. No, it doesn't happen by accident. It is by design. One sperm and one egg came together fused together and then over a period of nine months, a baby is born. Wonderfully, beautifully made. And everybody see the baby, say what? So cute! Right now, so cute. Nobody say he's so ugly. Eh? No, I haven't met anybody who does that. Maybe that fella uh, a bit off. Lah. But um, 
beautifully, wonderfully made. The point is this. There must be a maker and there must be a designer. Who is that maker? Who is that designer? It is not by accident. It is not randomly put together. If, there's this joke, right? If I'm randomly put together, my nose will be upside down. And you know, if I'm caught in the rain, what will happen? I will drown because the water will go into my lungs. We are designed and created by God. And this is what the Bible tells us in Genesis. It is because God is the grand designer. He created us in His image. The Bible begins in Genesis with these words, in the beginning. When is the beginning? The beginning is the beginning. When there was nothing. In the beginning. I'm known for my corny jokes. That is corny but very deep. In the beginning. When was in the beginning? When there was nothing at all. There was only God. In the beginning. God. In the beginning, God created Next slide. In the beginning, God started creation. In the first day, light was created. On the second day, the sky was created. The third day, dry land, seas, plants and trees were created. The fourth day, sun, moon, stars were created. The fifth day, creatures that live in the sea, creatures that fly were created. On the sixth day, animals that live on the land and finally, humans made in the image of God were created. And by the seventh day, God finished His creation and rested, making the seventh day a special holy day. Let's zoom in on the sixth day. After the creation of land animals, and we look at the human, we want to consider what is God's purpose for human. What is God's purpose for human sexuality? Have you ever wondered? What is the purpose of human sexuality? Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. When we look for purpose, there must be a purpose statement. Purpose statement always begins with the word, so that. In that passage, we just read, the purpose, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. That means they have dominion. They have dominion over God's creation. So God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Pay attention here. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. It was God who created the first pair of human beings in His own image. What did He create? What did He create? One male, one female. He didn't create two males. He didn't create two females. 
The Bible says male and female, He created them. He created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Not Ada and Eve. He created distinct opposite sex. Male and female, He created them. This is important, huh, my friends, because this is God's design. And after He designed, He created. In our day and age, there is much confusion between biological sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Three very big words. Huh? <laughs> what is the difference between these three terms? Let me quickly explain. Biological sex refers to a person's anatomy, but physical attributes such as external sex organs, sex chromosomes inside us, and the internal reproductive structures at birth. That is your biological sex. When I grew up, when there were forms to be filled, we have a column called sex. You are supposed to fill in male or female. Nothing else. Not how often you have it. <laughs> there was this joke. Huh? Some, somebody filled up you know, sex. He put there once a week. <laughs> you laugh about it, yeah. But this is just to help us understand the difference, okay? The difference. Biological sex. Gender identity, on the other hand, refers to an individual's deeply held sense of being male, female, or another gender. This is separate from biological sex. Gender identity is how, what gender you feel. So there may be people who are male outside, but inside they feel that they are female. And they may be female outside, but inside they feel that they are male. Okay? So that's gender identity. Sexual orientation refers to our physical, emotional, emotional or romantic attraction to others. That means you are attracted to which sex? Because this day and age, there's a lot of confusion. Now we know that God created male and female. Adam was a biological male with a male gender identity and sexually attracted to Eve, a female. Eve, on the other hand, was a biological female with a female gender identity sexually attracted to Adam, a male. This is God's original design. Adam and Eve had no confusion at all. But this day and age, there may be some confusion. This is God's design. Male and female, He created them. In God's perfect creation and design, it was God who made them male and female. Gave them their sex, gave them their gender, and gave them their sexuality. And we are created as sexual beings. Our sexuality is from God. Why did God not make two males or two females? Don't have to guess, okay? Verse 28, chapter 1 of Genesis. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. That is the purpose statement, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living thing or every creature that moves on the ground. The reason why God didn't make two males or two females as His design is God knows that it is impossible for two males or two females as the first couple to be fruitful and to increase in number. Make sense? And they are to fill the earth and subdue it together with their children and their children's children and their children's children's children. You are to fill the earth. And you can only do that when a male and a female come together. Let's jump to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 to 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. How many couples are there? Two couples, right? At least. Adam and Eve and the man's father and mother. It is intentional, right? Why two couples of distinctly different males and females? Because that is how you multiply. These two verses come after the detailed account of how Eve was made from the rib bone of Adam. God, the grand designer, has designed marriage between a man and a woman. When a man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife in marriage, he knows his wife during sexual intercourse and they become one flesh. This is a mystical spiritual union. It is not just physical. It is not just a casual sex after a hookup. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. This is important. They were naked and they felt no shame. Sex within the confines of marriage is God's perfect idea. There should be no shame. If you have shame, means you are somewhat broken. Okay? Nothing shameful about that. There should be no shame. So married couples, you can be naked and feel no shame before your spouse and God. Because that is God's design. Sex is intentionally created by God and our sexuality is a powerful metaphor of faithful covenant love. This is a major concept that you must understand today. It is a metaphor of faithful covenant love. This is the purpose for human sexuality. It is to show us faithful covenant love. Our experience of sexuality was intended to teach us not only about faithful covenant love between spouses, but more importantly, God's faithful covenant love for you and how we ought to love Him. 
It is to teach us exclusivity. We must be exclusive. And that is why the, in the New Testament, God refers to Christ as the husband and the church is bride. Husband and bride. What does this mean? We are exclusively His. The church belongs to Christ. Christ died for the church. The husband belongs to the wife. The wife belongs to the husband. No more than that. There shouldn't be any more plus one or plus one, plus one, plus one. No more. We shouldn't have eyes for others. That is why in the qualification of a church leader, the husband of one wife. Our God is a jealous God. When we, as His bride, flirt with the world, He gets jealous. Men and women who are married do not go around flirting with the other opposite sex. Right? If you are repent, you shouldn't. We also shouldn't be going around flirting with the same sex. If you are repent, that's homosexuality. You should only have eyes for your own spouse. Nobody else. Don't take that second look. Don't take that third look. Because you may fall in temptation. We should be faithful only to God. We should be faithful only to your spouse. And that is what we vow at marriages, isn't it? At our weddings. What do we do? We say vow. We are together until death. I keep my body for you. If we do not mean it, don't say it. If you say it, then you must keep it. But it is so difficult, isn't it? Why? Because Satan attacks. Satan seeks to pervert God's perfect creation. Satan wants us to drift away from God and sin. And it results in the problem with sexuality. We have a big problem with sexuality. Quickly, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? This is a dialogue between the serpent and the woman. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. God didn't say this. This is added in by the woman. The serpent caught it. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, very good lawyer, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, 
pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She yielded to the temptation. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they realised that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and, the, and, the, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, this is not on the slide, huh? but bonus for you. <laughs> the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Immediately after the fall, humanity lost our innocence. We felt shame. Have you felt shame before? All of us should have because we live in a shame <laughs> environment. You know, since young, we have been shamed. And it is not fun being shamed. If you don't do well in school, what happens? What does your parent tell you? You know, uh, your cousin, uh, or you know, uh, your brother, uh, what is that? That is shaming. Why cannot you be like so and so? That is shaming. They felt shame. They felt exposed. They were vulnerable. They were naked. And they were fearful. And they began to blame. They began to justify. And they tried to hide their shame. And that is what we do. When we do wrong, when we are called out, when we are exposed, when we are naked, what do we do? We start to cover ourselves. Right? Cover ourselves with one more lie. And then by another lie. And another lie. And another lie. And then very soon you forget what lie you told. And that is how you get found out. We try to push the blame. When we sin, we say, hey, I'm not so bad after all. What? Everybody else is also like that. What? Right? And then our conscience gets hardened, gets seared. And then very soon, sinning becomes a habit. And then we justify, we blame. Not me, God, not me. The woman that you gave. <laughs> the woman that you gave Give me the fruit. You shift. That's why sometimes you read people getting raped, right? And then, so sick, you know. The rapist say, the woman dressed so sexily tempted me. Pushing the blame when you are wrong. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were naked but they were not ashamed. 
This is what sin does. And this is what Satan desires. He desires to pervert us. He desires to pervert God's perfection so that we run and hide from God. The further you run, the happier Satan is. The better you hide, the, bet the happier Satan is. Satan paints God like a terrorist seeking to destroy us. You know, sometime back, we were taught how to deal with terrorists. You know how to deal with terrorists? Not fight. Huh? Run and hide. <laughs> Run and hide. God is not a terrorist. God is a loving God. He wants to embrace you. He wants to welcome you home. But instead, we run and hide our shame. Instead of owning up, repenting and receiving forgiveness, we justify, we come up with clever ideas, good reasons. God asks, who told you you were naked? After today's sermon, if you feel your conscience stirred, this is a very good application. Who told you you are a sinner? Not just Pastor Leonard holding the mic, you know. It is God. Because your eyes have been opened. God asked a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody. Who told you you are naked? The answer should be nobody, right? Because how did they know that they are naked? They knew they were naked because they lost their innocence when they ate the forbidden fruit. The moment they ate from the fruit, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they truly knew. Their eyes were open. Genesis 3 verse 7 says this, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. Nobody told them, told them. The eyes of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sowed fig trees, fig leaves. What's wrong with me? How to sow fig trees? Eh? They sowed fig leaves together and made coverings for them, for themselves. It is not just their nakedness. Don't be focused on their nudity. Don't be so focused on being naked. It is about them losing their innocence. Thinking about it, it amuses me. Many of us have a picture of us taken while in a bathtub in the toilet when we were babies. Have? You have it? No. Uh. Parents, did you take one of your baby? <laughs> if you don't have one, you may have seen it at some wedding dinners. Uh. And it amuses me that so many parents have the same idea of taking their baby in that pose. I do not know why. Maybe they went to the same parenting class. That was the homework. When that photo was taken, as a baby, did you cover yourself? No, right? I hope your parents covered you 
before they took the photo. If not, emotional damage. The point is this. As a kid, you were naked and you felt no shame because you were innocent. You had innocence. When you grow up, you realize that, hey, that is something shameful. And I'm sure you will not allow yourself to be photographed now in a tub bathing. Adam and Eve felt shame. We are ashamed, we are ashamed of our sexuality because we have departed from God's design. Because of the fall. Are you ashamed of your sexuality? We have a sexuality crisis, don't we? We are not totally comfortable with our own sexuality. Preachers, pastors, teachers included. My wife seldom read my sermon. But before I preached yesterday, she asked to read the sermon. She is not totally comfortable. And truth be told, not only her, when I was preparing this sermon, I spent so much time preparing this sermon. Why? Because I'm also not totally comfortable. I'm also sexually broken, you see. All of us are sexually broken in one way or another. We have a crisis. Why do I say that? We have a crisis because nobody is discipling us and nobody is discipling our children when it comes to sexuality. And that crisis snowballs. And it has snowballed to today. Where I would say 99% of the world have embraced and accepted the LGBTQ plus movement. And we have a crisis because some Christians think that the LGBTQ plus movement is worth supporting. It is a crisis. We are experiencing and seeing more and more adulteries. Not by men, but women also. We are seeing more and more fornication. Unmarried couples travelling together, going on holidays, sleeping in the same room, hopefully not on the same bed. Do we have a crisis? We have a crisis. And it's no laughing matter. Because it hurts our Creator God. We have strayed so far from the design. Married couples not having children. Unmarried couples having children. Cohabitation. Societal norm. Don't have to get married. 
just stay together and live happily ever after. Is that God's design? If you tell me that that is God's design, we have a crisis. Friends, I hope we see it. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It is not just about homosexuality. It is about sexual brokenness. Homosexuals often accuse the church of speaking up against homosexuality and not speaking up against other sexual sins. Let me put it on record. All sexual sins are sins not just homosexuality. Why do we talk about homosexuality more than other sexual sins? It is because the LGBTQ++ movement have been so vocal. They have been speaking up. And if the church does not preach on God's design and the biblical, value of, the biblical view of sex, then we are doing everybody a disfavor. We are not preaching the truth of God. We are not preaching the whole counsel of God. The church is forced to address this homosexual issue. Otherwise, all of us will be discipled by the world. Not by God's word. Not by the Spirit. Similarly, if an adulterer or fornicator starts a movement and is very vocal about it. Let's say, for example, I'm not like that. Nah. I can only use myself as an example. I commit adultery and then I come up and I take the mic and I say adultery is alright. And then join my black dot movement. And then you must love me. You must accept me. I am broken. I am wired this way. I am born this way. And therefore, I must act this way. I must be true to myself. Come and join me. What will the church do? I'm sure if Pastor Isaac is a godly man, follows the word of God, he will fire me. If he doesn't, please hold us accountable. If someone is so vocal about it, it forces us to address it. If someone is committing adultery and is repentant, come to the pastor's office, cry and journey, and then say, I want to, com I want to confess, I want to do good, and we can journey together. I won't take the mic and speak about it. You understand? the church is forced to address the issue. So it is not because we love to bash the homosexuals. We speak up when it is sin. And I hope that we speak the truth with love in humility. Because truth be told, we are all sexually broken. 
we must admit that we are all sexually broken. Some more, some less, but broken nonetheless. Because Satan has attacked holy sexuality and continues to attack it. Because of the original sin, we are all fallen. We are all broken. Our sexuality is also broken. We think that we have the right to decide our biological sex. We have the right to decide our gender identity. We have the right to choose our sexual orientation. We have the right to decide who to have sex with, when to do that. We decide, we decide. Whether we are female, we are male or otherwise. What gender do we feel? Which gender we are attracted to? Somebody just sent me this past week a picture of a handicapped toilet in Suntec City through, through WhatsApp. You, you saw it? Friends, it is hitting home. I hope QBC don't have that kind of toilet. If we have, we are in trouble. And we decide which toilet we want to go. Friends, we don't have the last say. Why do I say we don't have the last say? Because God has the first say during creation. How did creation came about? God spoke. He has the first say. And He will have the last say. Because that day will come where He will judge. God has the first say and the last say. We don't have any say. We are His creation. We understand His design and we follow His design. We need to understand God's design, His purpose for sexuality and the big problem we have with sexuality. Sexual wholeness, therefore, is what we have to achieve. We have to aim for sexual wholeness because we are sexually broken. How do we be sexually whole? We need to steward our sexuality in light of God's metaphor of covenant's love. Understand what it means to be exclusive. Understand what it means to be loved. Understand what it means to love God and your spouse only. We have failed and we have failed miserably. But the good news is God has promised to redeem our sexuality. Not yet. We are living in, in the in-between. Already, but not yet. We are getting there. This is God's promise. Verse 14 of chapter 3, Genesis. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. God very humorous. God made men from what? Dust. Now you eat dust. All the days of your life. And then verse 15, very important. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, 
and you will strike his heel. Verse 16 to 20 continues with God meeting out the consequence of their sin for the woman, painful childbirth and submission to the husband. These are two very painful things for the woman. Childbirth and submission to the husband. Men don't understand it. Men don't get it. Why childbirth so, so painful? Me? Pain, more painful than my toothache? Me? Why is it so difficult for, submit, for the woman to submit? The men don't get it. Just like the woman don't understand how the man must love the wife and work hard until death. What's so painful? Love the wife and then work hard until you die, no? That is the consequence for the man. And then come verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. You see, when Adam and Eve fell, they were very creative. They, had, they have instinct. Instinctively, they cover themselves. Just like when you walk out of the bath with your towel and then your towel drop, instinctively you cover yourself. That is instinct. <laughs> with their own creativity, Adam and Eve tried to cover their shame with fig leaves. Because that is what they can find. They thought the fig leaf can cover them for a few days like, at least. Huh? But the fig leaves will dry up. The fig leaves will wither away and then it will be gone. Right? God gave a more permanent covering. God killed an animal and made them garments of skin. Leather pants. <laughs> In cursing the serpent, God declared enmity with him. And her offspring will crush Satan's head, referring to Jesus. Although Satan will strike his heel. This is the first promise of the Messiah who will come and cover the sins and shame of those who will trust in him and believe in God's promise. That person is Jesus the Christ who came on the first Christmas born of the woman, born of the Virgin Mary, the seed of the woman. Although we may be ashamed of our broken sexuality, like Adam and Eve, Jesus came to redeem every aspect of humanity, including our broken sexuality. Jesus died for your sexual brokenness. You need to trust Jesus to cover our sins as well. I'm deeply aware that this issue may be very deep for us, deep in us. It may be so deep that we refuse to admit that we are sexually broken. But friends, you need to understand this. We are all sexually broken. Just like we have sinned. We are all sinners. Are you in shame because of your sexuality? God desires to redeem 
your sexuality to its original design. I don't know. You may have committed sins, sexual sins, sins of fornication, sins of adultery, sin of polygamy, sin of rape, sin of incest, sin of homosexuality, sin of bestiality. I do not know. Perhaps you may not have committed the act itself physically. Perhaps it has crossed your mind. Jesus says that adultery is not only committed in the physical act. When you think that is already committing adultery. Jesus says that thinking about it is as good as acting it out or as bad as acting it out. You can be sinning in your thoughts. Friends, it is time to repent and return to God's design and ask God to help us. You want to find your true self? You want to go back to God's original design? Stop justifying. Stop running. Stop hiding. God is stirring your heart, calling you out. That is not a bad thing. Perhaps deep down inside you, the Holy Spirit is calling you out. Perhaps you are feeling lousy. Perhaps you don't like this sermon at all. It is alright. God is not shaming you. God loves you. God wants to cover your sin. No sin is too great for Him to forgive. So let us pray. I give you a few minutes to speak to God. Admit to God your sexual brokenness. Come before Him. He wants to cover your sins. God wants to redeem your sexuality if you let Him. I give you some time to pray before the worship team leads us in the closing song.